when I'm furthest from myself. Feeling closer to the stars. I've been invaded by the dark. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos, of course, have, uh, well, the playoffs start now. Must win the rest of the way or they're not going to make it. It's just that simple. And joining us to break it down is Cody Rourke from Mile High Sports. You can follow him on social at Cody Rourke NFL. That's, pardon me, R-O-A-R-K, Cody Rourke NFL. And, Cody, thank you for joining us. The Broncos tomorrow will have Sean Payton and Russell Wilson both take the podium. I suspect the questions will be asked about the – interaction or one-sided interaction between the two at the tail end of the game last weekend. What did you make of it? And do you think that too much is being made of it or is it systemic of a larger issue between the two men? Yeah, I I don't think that, I don't think Sean Payton will address it. He already kind of answered it a little bit in his Monday conference call. I'm sure Russell will be asked about it. His third version of the story on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll hear, uh, you know, we hear from Russ. Russ even downplayed it in the post-game press conference, but uh, to me, not a big deal at all. This football, it happens. Like I've been, in all my years playing, I got my butt chewed left and right, very, very harshly. Uh, you know, on a multitude of you know occasions there. Um, you know, I think just because it was caught on camera, and obviously, you know, knowing the dynamic, the Broncos' offense wasn't playing well. You know, Russell Wilson's been limited in some ways this season, and you know, obviously, with all the pressure that Denver's facing to get to the postseason, things like that. It's just one of those moments where frustration boiled over. It was a okay. disappointing drive. But but him. when so. – and I asked the same question of Mick yesterday when we had uh, uh, Mick on, uh, and, I, and I'll ask it of you. And, and he said the same thing you said. And, and I, you know, I, I played mostly individual sports uh, growing up, but I got yelled at every single time. You knew the reason. I don't think Russell Wilson will say anything about this because I don't think Russell Wilson has any idea why Sean Payton was screaming at him. Uh, (laughs) So he has no idea. And neither does anybody else, frankly. No one has given me a possible explanation. Okay, what was it? Yeah, I think I know what it was. So on that drive, you know, obviously there's the frustration that boiled over. You know, they thought they got in the end zone a couple times. But on that drive, they had to blow a timeout. And then there was a question about, I think, whether or not Sean was going to challenge it or not. And because they blew a timeout on that drive there and they were going into the fourth quarter, still trying to make things interesting there, if they would have lost the challenge, which, look, at this point, too, there was not a great enough angle, in my opinion. Like, I think you, I think Jaleel was in. But because it was called not a touchdown, I don't feel like they had enough to overturn it, which would have I been agree. possible. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So and that, I mean, but that's, that's what Peyton that's said after the game. Peyton said you don't challenge spot calls because they hardly ever get overturned. That was his yeah. explanation after the game. So if he's yelling at Russell Wilson for you know wasting a timeout earlier, first of all, that happened a long time earlier. Why didn't you yell at him back then? Uh, yeah. To yell at him like I mean in real time, what 20, 25 minutes later. <laughs> what are you doing now? I could yeah. see why he was yelling at the officials and that was very understandable. In fact, our friend Dave Logan on radio was saying, wait until Sean Payton sees the replays after the game 
and he'll he'll go even more ballistic than he's going now on the officials. But then yeah. he started screaming at Wilson, and nobody understood that. And we've had theories advanced that, well, Wilson went up to the line of scrimmage too fast, so they didn't have time to challenge. Again, contradicted by what Peyton said after the game, that he was never yeah. going to challenge. And then the other explanation was that the play to Williams was supposed to be a handoff, not a pitch out. Well, the pitch out was there, and it's Williams' fault that he didn't score. Williams ran like he was 55 years old the other night. He ran like he was exhausted. He had no power behind his runs, no pop, no acceleration, no burst. He looked like he was feeling the effects of having been used or maybe overused three times on the road in 13 days. That's what it looked like to me. But it certainly yeah. wasn't Wilson's fault, and it wasn't Wilson's no. fault that Quinn Miners, however debatably, uh, it lined up offside. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. And, and that's the thing is I, I honestly don't think we'll ever know unless Sean Payton decides to write a memoir one day and, and bring it up. But I, I doubt that'll ever happen. Um, they're going to move on from it. You know, talking to some guys in the locker room, you know, they're disappointed with how the game went. They, you know, they acknowledge that they didn't play their best brand of football and that it's on them to, you know, kind of get right and figure it out this week because, yeah, you have to win out, you know, these next three games. And you also have to hope for a little bit of help along the way from some other teams in the AFC because this weekend did not help the Broncos in any way, shape, or form. It was almost like a weird at all. hex in a sense because you had all these former Broncos starting quarterbacks yeah, leading yeah, the teams to win. That's right. What that's right. a, what well, a they, they, they didn't really Flacco. care about Drew Locke, but they did care a lot about Joe Flacco. Yeah, and Flacco didn't even honestly play great in that game. They were just, no, but you know, he played great in the fourth quarter when he had to. It, yeah. The three picks got him in the hole, and then he got him out of the hole that he had created. You're right. And then the Hail Mary didn't even, the Hail Mary didn't even, like, that was, that was just one of those things where it's like anything that, you know, it was just one of those things. The ball did not bounce the Broncos way this weekend, unfortunately. Well, on on the Broncos defensive side, this was their third game in 13 days. And quite frankly, I think it showed a little bit. Now, Detroit was very good. They do have the ability to move the ball through the air and have an effective ground game that the offense can be diversified is one of the reasons the Lions have done well. But the Broncos look to be um, maybe unusually uh, out of sorts. And I think fatigue played a part in that. What do you contribute, uh, attribute, pardon me, that kind of performance to? Is it just fatigue? Is it, is it the idea that over this last couple months, the defense has really kind of had to carry the weight and eventually it's starting to break down? What, or is this just purely a one-off and Detroit's a lot better than people realize? Uh, well, you know, I think Detroit's better than people realize. Like, they were a good team all season. They just – they've had some struggles. But also, their offensive line was fully healthy for this game. They fought, they got Frank Ragnall Finally. back. They got yes. Taylor Decker back. So, they went back to what was working for them. And, you know, the moment that Denver – their first three drives were really good defensively. And then the moment that Montgomery and Gibbs started gashing them a little bit, Denver tried to adjust against that. And then they got hurt in the passing game by Jared Goffin. They couldn't generate a lot of pressure. They were they were really kind of had their hands tied in that scheme this past week, and it didn't help. 14 nothing felt like a death sentence for Denver in that game. Um, that's something that I put out there, and, and certainly the defense can't carry the water the entire time. Like There's going to be games where the offense has to be the, the strong suit. Even if the defense is having a rough game, the defense has probably been the more consistent element yeah. for the, the middle Agreed. to second half of the season. But – like they're going to take their lumps and that's where the offense needs to step up. And unfortunately they couldn't do anything Two along those lines, two numbers that bother me. 
uh, going into even this next game with New England, which the Broncos should win, but these these numbers, metrics bother me anyway. The last three weeks, the Broncos are 23rd in the NFL at 3.4 yards, yards per rush. That indicates fatigue to me, particularly on the part of Javante Williams, who all year has been averaging well under four yards per carry. All right, so you have that. And then you have at Detroit, 26 yards on eight play action attempts. 26. That's supposed to be something the Broncos are good at doing, that Russell Wilson's good at doing. In Detroit, they got 26 yards out of eight play action attempts. Both those numbers, 3.4 yards per rush the last three weeks and 26 yards on eight play action attempts in Detroit. You're looking at a New England defense that for all the problems the Patriots have, number two in defensive rush expected points added. And in the last five, New England opponents are gaining 56 yards a game on the ground. They can yeah. stop the run. They don't do that's, anything that's else very well, but they can stop the run. Yeah, and if I'm if I'm the Patriots, I'm looking at what Aaron Glenn and the Lions did. I'm saying, you know, we're just going to replicate that. We're going to send pressure. We know we're going to stop the run. Denver hasn't had a good run game. And that forces the Broncos' offense to do things that they just simply haven't been good at all season long. And that, to me, is, is the issue – you know, we had said on the show, you know, several weeks ago, like, okay, hey, you know, Denver's on this five-game winning streak. The offense isn't playing great, but they they haven't played their best football yet. Well, with just three games remaining, gents, I don't think the offense will be able to play its best football yet because they haven't been able to do it so far through 15 weeks. I don't think we're well, going to see We've seen their best here. offense. We've yeah. seen it. Yeah. 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 Not, not every week not by like any means, but we've seen it. Yeah. They're not going to get and, better. And, and, and that's where they're running the ball well. That's where they're running the ball for over 140 yards you know, right. collectively, Right. which is odd. They're 7-7, seven and seven, yet they have not had a single player rush for over 100 yards this season. Isn't that amazing? But collectively, they've been able to do it. It just yeah. goes to show how one-dimensional the offense is. Right. They are really struggling, and it frustrated me watching all the games this weekend. It frustrates me watching all these other teams that have maybe not as good personnel as Denver offensively, they have an intermediate passing game, and they're very good at it. And like Baker Mayfield went to Lambeau Field and put up the perfect passer rating, which has never been done before. Not a Lambeau Field, it has quarterback. Not yeah. a Lambeau so, Field. Like, by a road so that to me is Denver just doesn't have that dynamic. They, it's either they're going to throw the ball before the line of scrimmage, or they're going to throw it deep downfield, and that is not There's, sustainable. You're exactly right. There's nothing in between. And that's, no, that's, the, that's where the play-action metric comes in, at least yep. in Detroit the other day. It, it, they, they, they have no real intermediate middle of the field passing game at all. No. It's little dump offs or bombs. And when they're throwing bombs to Mims uh, or, or even Judy, they, they're catching the ball out of bounds. The only guy who's any good on deep throws at catching passes is Sutton. Yep. And they doubled him all night. Cody, let me, let me ask a question about that to follow up on what Sandy said, and, and you're talking about it too. Uh, the Sean Payton offense that we saw for all the years, and I get it, Drew Brees was the quarterback and everything, it wasn't dump-offs and bombs only. There were a lot of opportunities to use the middle of the field. What? Why has Sean Payton gotten rid of that this year for the Denver Broncos, even though I get it, Russell Wilson is not Drew Brees, but it's not like he's an incapable quarterback. His career numbers are pretty good. Yeah. 
I, I think a lot of it, Sean, has to do with height. I really think height is the biggest issue here uh, for Russ. And, and look, you look at the offensive lines. You look at D lines now. Like even when Drew Brees was playing, there were times where you didn't have D linemen as tall as they are in today's game. There were linebackers as tall and rangy as they are in today's game. But you did see that dynamic where Drew, Drew could carve and, and slice you up in the middle of the field. That's where I've looked at Sean Payton's offense in New Orleans, and I look at it now, I'm like, well, this really isn't Sean Payton's offense to the full extent. Like, this is a modified version just because I think he's trying – he's built this offense around what he thinks Russell Wilson could do well, which, as you mentioned, Sandy is being able to roll out, do the play-action stuff. But when teams take that away, Denver becomes very one-dimensional. They become very easy, especially if a defense is having success and they're rattling off hits and pressuring Wilson – the reality is they, they have no drop-back game, and that is going to hurt them. And until they get a drop-back game, their offense is always going to be one-dimensional unless they have a quarterback who's out of this world. And, you know, as, as good as Russ has played this season, I don't know if that's going to be part of the plans here going into next year. I mean, we're going to be monitoring that fifth day of the new league year very, very closely when that $37 million guarantee kicks in. There is a big chance Denver does maybe look at another option. And, look, Sean Payton is not going to wait around. He's not going to wait and hope that Russ clicks together, even though Russ is not the reason that they're losing games right now. But it's organizationally, that's the ripple effect you deal with with the previous regime making the decisions that they did of extending him before he ever played but, it down. But here, here's, here's why the sideline exchange, I think, and, and Sean agrees with me, means something and meant something the other night. Because I think the answer to all the points you so accurately just made, Sean Payton is not building an offense around Russell Wilson. He's trying to coach around Russell Wilson's weaknesses, and he doesn't believe, this is Sean Payton, I'm speculating, of course, but I'm going on what I've seen. Sean Payton doesn't believe Russell Wilson's very good at throwing into the middle of the field. Drew Brees wasn't tall. I know you made the point about how linemen are taller now, and you're right. They're taller. They're more athletic. They bat down more passes. Uh, you know, uh, the, the guy uh, here who used to do that isn't here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but now a whole lot of people uh, are doing what Shelby Harris used to do here, and I assume still does when, when he's out yeah. there with, with some uh, rate of frequency. Uh, but – I just think he's decided that Russell Wilson, he can't play that game with Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson isn't very good at that. So he's yeah. trying to maneuver around what he believes Russell Wilson can do. And the honest truth is that when he looks at Russell Wilson, he sees a guy with a 50.0 quarterback rating which is average. This isn't passer rating. This is quarterback rating 50.0. The point I made earlier in the show is, and I know Peyton doesn't care about Bronco history that goes back any length of time before he got here. I get that. But Russell Wilson is on track to become the first quarterback here in nine years to both throw for 3,000 yards and have a quarterback rating of 50.0 or better. He's on pace to do that. So, and, and again, that if you present that to Peyton, Peyton's going to say, all I care about is what I see this year, and what I see this year is that there are things he can't do. And one of those yeah. things is throw the ball short and intermediate between the numbers. 
He can't do well, that. And, and Sean, you know, Peyton coming into this job this year, I mean, he had no choice. Russ was going to be the quarterback no matter what. So I, I think this is a year, like, can we do something with Russ? And at times that they, they have been able to do it, but there isn't sustainability behind it. And that, I think, is the overarching issue. I think going into next season, Sean's like, you know what? We, we designed something around him. We we're able to, you know, we we're looking to see. That's why, I mean, there's a reason why they're, they're keeping Ben DiNucci and Jarrett Stidham, you know, around. Like, Sean Payton, I think, really likes Jarrett Stidham. He obviously really likes Ben DiNucci. Not to say that either of those guys are going to be the quarterback next season if they do make a move on Russ, but it certainly wouldn't shock me at this point. Jarrett Stidham, at least in my opinion, can be a guy who can throw across the middle of the field. He can make those throws that you want, you know, on drag routes, slant routes. They can operate and open up Sean's offense a little bit more. But I think that this is a year Sean had to see. What can I get out of Russ this year from you know, a coaching standpoint? What can I get from him for his ability? Obviously, he can still run. He's leaned up a little bit. But is his deficiencies going to impact the rest of the offense, which has absolutely taken a step in the right direction? You know, I think that they're going to make a lot of changes to wide receiver really outside of Cortland Sutton. But I do think that the run game's there. The offensive line is there. And I think the offensive line can be absolutely better going forward. But those are things that they can build off of. And they don't have a large window to do it with the core nucleus of guys that they've done. They're going to have to extend some guys. Some guys are going to be free agents. Sean Payton's not going to wait around and hope it all just magically clicks. He's going to find a way to make it happen right away. And it may not be this season. It may be going into next year. Last one for you. We're talking to Cody Rourke, uh, Cody Rourke NFL on social and uh, host of the Good Morning Broncos podcast. Uh, on that program, you talked about uh, a pretty cool event last night from the Justin Simmons Foundation. Justin Simmons, of course, a Broncos uh, Man of the Year nominee multiple times. Darren Williams, Good Guy Award winner multiple times. We know about his impact in the community. And on top of that, you could argue, I think you can make a strong argument. He's been the Broncos' best player overall. Last night, still find some yeah. time with his wife, Taryn, and the foundation to make Christmas happier for some local families. Oh, yeah. It was such a great event. So, Justin Simmons, on behalf of the Justin Simmons organization and obviously the, the founda- Justin Simmons Foundation, what they've been able to do, they partnered up with the Christmas Tree Project here in Denver. And what it does is it, it goes, it's an organization that goes around and they provide Christmas trees to families that, if it weren't for them, they wouldn't necessarily have a Christmas tree for the holiday season. So, Justin and his wife, Taryn, last night, they went around to, to multiple families and hand-delivered a Christmas tree, signed game balls, and one family that we met with that we got to see them do this personally with, they, they knocked on the door. Justin delivered a game ball, the Christmas tree, and then he also surprised his family, a single mom and her 13-year-old son with four tickets to Sunday's game against the Patriots, made their day. And just, you know, you mentioned all those accolades about Justin on the field. You mentioned some of the character awards given. Yeah, he's I mean, a Justin great is, man. He's, He's an all-pro on and off the field, one of the most genuine human beings I think I've ever gotten the chance to meet, just seeing him work and, and, and making a difference, impacting the lives of so many. Like, you know, often at times when athletes are in the spotlight, they, you know, people say, oh, they just do it for publicity. Justin does this out of the kindness of his heart. Um, he truly doesn't, you know, care about having cameras there or anything like Not that. Not at Justin all. Is that type Not of guy. And, and that's why, like, Denver's got a great one with Justin. That was such a great event to see last night, and you can definitely tell how, how important – community is to him and his wife and just a great experience overall to see that last night he is cody rourke make sure you give him a follow cody rourke nfl check out everything he puts together over at mile high sports and uh especially on the social you'll see a lot of the photos from last night really really heartwarming stuff and uh not surprising and with justin simmons one of the things that not only uh, you're right all pro on and off the field uh we know for a fact that that's not just for show this is something that matters to him and the broncos 
outside of the football world are really, really fortunate to have him. So thanks for spending some time on that as well. Appreciate it, Cody. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Have a great rest of your evening. All thanks, right, Cody. thanks. Cody Rourke of Miley Sports. Make sure you go to MileySports.com and you can get all the everything right. that Cody's putting together there. Mick and Cody, just great. The yeah. last two days. And uh, both made the same point about the schedule that we were making mm-hmm. earlier on. Uh, it broke right two weeks ago, and it broke almost entirely wrong this past weekend. And there are about seven games in the next three weeks that the Broncos aren't involved in. And they really need the quote-unquote right team to win in just about every instance. And I, to me, you're rooting for Cleveland when Cleveland goes to Houston. You're rooting for Cleveland when Cleveland goes to Cincinnati. You've all but conceded that Cleveland will be the first of the three wildcard teams. And you're going after spots six and seven. You're going after Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Houston, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, although I think Pittsburgh will will lose enough to eliminate the Steelers. Yeah. Um, uh, Buffalo uh, comes down to that Buffalo-Miami game, as you highlighted. It really is. Earlier. Barring a lot of weird things, it's really going to come down to that game. In terms of what the Broncos can control, I I was interested to read. They'll be playing three backups the next three weeks. We all know that, including Zappi coming up on Sunday. These three quarterbacks have combined to start 13 games. But you know what their team's record is in the 13 games? Just guess. It shocked me. Shocked me. Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. I thought it'd be 3-10. and 10, Sure. Right? 6-7. and seven. Oh. Not terrible. Okay. okay? That's it. Just saying. Uh, week 7 through 14, the Bronco defense pressured at a rate of 39.9%. That does not include Sunday in Detroit, where they exerted almost no pressure. That was ninth in the league, week seven through week 14. That's a seven-week game-playing period. And they tied for 13th in sacks with 20. Didn't have one the other night. How do you find a way to turn it around? They have a handful of days to take care of it and also to see what they can do with that offense. Really good points made. I do want to touch on some of that regarding the Drew Brees-Russell Wilson comparison because a lot of that is... Pretty important and important to this conversation. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. We had an opportunity to speak to Mile High Sports at Cody Rourke just a couple moments ago, and it brought up the the very real differences. When you talk about Sean Payton for the most part, yes, he has had years with other quarterbacks. Jameis Winston immediately comes to mind most recently prior to Russell Wilson, and the, the Saints had a, got a pretty good performance out of Jameis Winston as well before he got hurt before he got hurt and the comparison that that Cody made of course with Drew Brees is true that Drew Brees worked between the numbers he as effectively as he was great. any quarterback has done it in you know 40 50 years Russell Wilson historically is actually as good outside the numbers on deep balls as anybody in the last right. 20 years or so but 
not only is he not particularly, it's, it's, it's actually almost odd to say he's not good in between the numbers because we don't know. He really, over the course of his career, it was never a major part of his attack. Not in Seattle, not over the, the early years, not over the late years. Actually, few quarterbacks over the last 10 years throw between the numbers more, you know, less often than Russell Wilson right. does. Wilson right. just doesn't use that, and I think yeah. Cody is right. Some of it is the height. Now, you're thinking, if you were listening, well, Drew Brees was listed at six feet and wasn't right. six. Brees and Wilson were probably extremely close in height. Yes, but very close. For whatever reason, even though they were both playing college in the Big Ten, uh, Wilson at Wisconsin, Brees at Purdue, yeah, although some part yeah. apart, yes. Wilson really never needed to use the whole field. They were happy with him rolling out and using the the outer parts of the, the offense and going into the sideline routes. And we've seen that before, and this is not meant to be a condemnation of, of Wilson because the comparison I'm going to make Sandy is not fair. Paxton Lynch put up really amazing numbers at Memphis and looked like a guy that could roll out and create things down the field. Well, that's because in college, to a certain extent, you can out-athlete a whole bunch of teams. If you're right. just more athletic and, and, and better. the defense is easier. If the safeties are up, you throw over them. And if they're back. And if you're an NFL caliber you player, which Russell Wilson most certainly was and is, you can take advantage of that. He was never really asked to slice and dice a defense over the middle of the field. Now, Drew Brees. No, he's not a, a surgeon. With a, a less explosive not a offense. Drew Brees is a surgeon. Uh, Brees was. was, Brees even at his, you know, his height. Well, yeah, that was his focus, was right. slant routes, quick timing yep. routes, a la Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, we, it's funny, you look at what we call dink and dunk quarterbacks, go look, career-wise, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Drew Brees were the king of dink and dunk oh, quarterbacks. Well, the great coaches have told me through the years that the three best dink and dunkers were Manning, Brady, and Brees. Yeah, and, and so and, there's nothing wrong you know, with that. It, it, Mike Shanahan in particular, when uh, some of us, I still today will stick to my position on this. We're not thrilled with Brian Gracie because of his tendency to always check down. And Shanahan reminded us that that's exactly how Manning and Brady and Breeze got into games, uh, particularly Manning and Brady. And sure, they could hurt you over the top, but. But most of what they were doing. Most of what they were doing. Short timing routes. Intermediate timing routes, yards after the catch, uh, based on on timing. And, of course, when Breeze had Randy Moss, we found out that Breeze threw a, uh, Brady threw yeah. to Randy Moss a pretty good deep ball. <laughs> right, right. And Drew Breeze and, always had a great yes, one as, right, as well. And we right. know that, that Manning, over the course of his career, had a had a great one. And Russell Wilson has a, a great one. But they have been asked to do different things. But I look at it and think, okay, the argument that Cody made, Sean Payne's trying to figure out what Russell Wilson can do. At this point, it's probably not worth trying to turn Russell Wilson into an in-between-the-numbers guy. So, conceptually, the idea of saying, all right, let's try to get Russell outside the pocket when we can, when it makes sense, and have him see if he can create. If he doesn't, he can tuck and run, which he's done very efficiently and effectively besides the fumbles. That's been problematic. But otherwise, I think the running, for the most part, for Wilson has been very effective. But... I guess I look at it and think all of those things make sense. But the reputation that Sean Payton had, right? You kept hearing people before the season started, uh, analysts all over the country who couldn't, couldn't stop fawning. Oh, best play caller in the NFL. You know, offensive genius. 
Russell Wilson had made nine Pro Bowls, was a Super Bowl winner in one, and went to another, and if it wasn't for one of the worst coaching calls in the history of sports, would probably have two. Are you telling me that Sean Payton can't devise an offense that can take advantage of those strengths that is a little more explosive than this? So I, I do question a bit how much culpability Payton has with this offense as well and the idea that sometimes happens when coaches and quarterbacks pair up and they have great success. It becomes a situation where the coach gets a lot of the credit for a while and then the player leaves or then things change. And they can be Mike Shanahan and still be offensive geniuses, but they'll never gonna they never reach that height again. Well, of course not. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick <laughs> never reach that height again. Right. Sean Payton and Drew Brees. I hate to say it, Broncos fans. They're never gonna reach that height no. again. Because you're not going to find another Drew no, Brees, no. and another it, Drew Brees it, it, is what Peyton wants. Look at what happened to the Saints when Brees retired. Look what happened when Brady left New England. The interesting thing about the aforementioned Baker Mayfield is that actually he's having a much better year than Brady had at the end. Brady's last year was not as good as Mayfield's year in 2023 it just wasn't and that that's interesting but Brady leaving New England that that's the end I mean Belichick follows him out four years later yep quite possibly that's what everybody seems to think and Manning leaves Indianapolis and yes Andrew Luck is a perfectly appropriate successor but I had a very short career because the Colts couldn't be bothered with building anything close to the kind of offensive line they seem to have right now, uh, which is better than the awful offensive line yeah, I mean, that they, they used to have. So, uh, you know, you, you you lose people like that. It, it Those people matter more than the coach. And I was reading a very good column today in the Boston Globe about Belichick being the star and being the marquee attraction now for the Patriots as a sign that the Patriots have finally fallen victim to the idea that the coach can be the star and he can still win. Hmm. That it's Bill Belichick's Patriots, right? Right. It's Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills. And you know what? Here, might be Sean Payton's Denver Broncos. And I'm not sure that's great because even the great coaches are not as important as the great players they coach. Uh, I tell this story a lot through the years. You go back and look. Remember when ESPN ran those uh, uh, greatest athletes of the 20th century right. series, mm-hmm. right? And they obviously one of the great athletes was Joe Montana. And the 30-minute program on Montana, they get to John Madden and ask Madden who was more important to the 49ers' success in winning all those Super Bowls with Walsh and Montana. And Madden starts laughing. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Do you really believe Bill Walsh was even as close to even close to being as important as Joe Montana was. Right. I mean, there's no, no question. It, right. And, bon, it, and Madden's statement was, it's always the player. Always. Players who win matters games. more. Always. 
than the coach, even a great player and a great coach. And it was as close with Brady and Belichick as it probably could ever be. The only other comparison I can make with Brady and Belichick being as close as they were was star and Lombardi. And that, that was back in an era when people tended probably to give more credit to coaches than than they should have and more and less credit to players than they should have. Because I, I look at star and, you know, star, first of all, star believed in Lombardi more than at least the beginning Lombardi believed in star. And, I mean, Star did the plane, man. Right. And, <laughs> right. and, and the, the one year, remember when Horning was kicked out for gambling, they actually went 11-2-1. Lombard, Lombard, they had just won two straight championships. And they were going for a third in a row, and Horning's not there. And they went 11-2-1. Who do you think was responsible for that? And And – at least one of the two games they lost, I think, that year, Star was hurt and didn't play. They lost like one game that year with Star quarterback without Paul Horning, the Golden Boy. Right. Star was, and I'm a Lombardi guy. Star was at least as, and probably more important than Lombardi. And I think Lombardi would, by the end of his time in Green Bay, would have said the same thing. Except he was never asked because it was just to say, "Well, the the image of the coach was always greater." With Walsh and Montana, things had changed a little bit, but you know it was like, well, Montana wouldn't be as great in another system. Well, no, and if you put Elway with Walsh, I mean they would have won, but Montana would would have been better than Elway in San Francisco. Now here in Denver, I think Elway would have been better mm-hmm. than Mon- Montana was. Yeah. So there's no debating that Walsh was a great coach, but what it, Elway and Reeves, even Elway and Shanahan. Are you kidding? Players win kidding? games. Players, Players win, games. win games. The the concern going forward, and you hit on it at the beginning of the show, Sandy, is that does Sean Payton believe that? We'll find out over the next couple of seasons. Of course, you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game, give you two tickets to the game at a three-night hotel stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Colorado Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon are back at it tonight. They will be in Chicago. Uh, uh, Nathan McKinnon's. Colorado uh, Avalanche, yes. right? Yes. I think <laughs> there's that's no doubt about that at the present time. Fair to put it that way. We'll take a look at what's going on with the abs. Interesting comments by Jared Bednar regarding the team's injury situation. We'll hear from the coach as well next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche get going tonight in Chicago. A brief uh, one-game trip. That's it. They just yeah. hop, hop to Chicago. They'll be back in town on Thursday. They have two more games, for, really almost for the next month, Sandy. Uh, it, it's a lot of travel because the Avs, 
Uh, obviously, go from uh, the last couple of games you can think about it. They went from Winnipeg for one game, back to Denver, back to back, San Jose. They won that last game on Sunday. Now they go out to Chicago. They'll come back on Thursday, play Thursday and Saturday here. Then they go on the road for two more, then back home for two more, then on the road for one more, and then uh, they get a three-game homestand before going on a five-game road trip in mid-January. So right now, uh, a bunch of travel for the Avalanche. Given the injury situations, Kale McCarr's missed the last uh, two couple of games. Uh, Andrew Cogliano went down uh, really hard and, and kind of had to be helped off the ice on Sunday. The situation against Chicago, the idea of maybe a one-game trip means that a couple guys, well, the ones I talked about, they're not coming. Yeah, so change of plans from when we talked after the game. He did not come on the trip, and uh, neither did Cogs. So, again, day-to-day for both of those guys. Cogs got dinged up in the game a little bit. He'll miss tonight. Um, Kale's still day-to-day trying not to – trying to get him fully healed so he feels comfortable um, without, you know, dealing with a nagging injury for too long or, or potentially making it worse. That, of course, is the voice of head coach Jared Bednar. And, Sandy, to me, this just makes – it's nothing to panic about. It's a, it's one game. So when you, when you don't play until Thursday back at home – why make these guys to get on two yeah, plane trips no and travel back and forth? There's it makes no, no sense. So no, I, I like the move. And 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 I think that there is some insight on on the McCarr deal. Um, I think they're going to keep him out until the discomfort goes away. I think that that's the December plan. It might not be the March plan or the April plan mm-hmm. or the playoff plan. But it's the plan for now. If these were playoff games, he'd be playing. Yeah. He'd, be, he'd be making the trip. I don't know about Cogliano. I didn't, it, it, he got dinged up, and you know, I, I love Cogliano. And they're a better team. But he was he down played. on the ice for a, for a bit he, and he, he helped he off. He looked and... like he needed some assistance to get off. And the, the thing with McCarr is he had that lingering injury into training camp, or I suspect the early part of the season, and it flared up, I'm guessing, whatever it is, lower body, uh, flared up recently a little bit, and they want, they want to get it calmed down, and they, want it, it, they don't want this to be lingering. They don't want to have to every month decide which week he's going to miss. Right. Because he's just in too much pain to play. They want to make the discomfort go away to the greatest extent possible, it, 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 I don't want McCarr playing 75 games anyway. No. I don't even want him playing 70. 60 to 65 during the regular season with McCarr is fine as long as he's right for the playoffs. That's that's fine. And I feel the same way about McKinnon, who's likely to play more, hopefully, than 60 to 65. But for McCarr on defense, who plays more minutes than McKinnon does, as a defenseman, sure. right? Your top defenseman plays more than your top forward. I'd, I'd rather see him rested and 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 fully healed before he comes back. Now, I will say this about the Avalanche. And this addresses some of the, I, I think, fair concern that's been expressed. They started 6-0. and Since then, they are 13-10-2 in the last 25. That is not great. No. Now, they are in first place at this point, uh, uh, tied with Dallas, but because Dallas has played fewer games and both teams have 40 points, the Avs are technically in second. 
And if Winnipeg wins the what is it, two games, I think, that Winnipeg has in hand, mm-hmm. they're one point behind the Avs. Okay. So the Avs may be in third here in the next week or so. And they may stay there for a while, at least until they're as healthy as they can be. And, and, and Lekkonen's not coming back for a couple months. Right. And, so, and keep in mind that even behind that, you have Nashville that's, that's right. on a four-game oh, winning I, streak. Well, yeah, but they've lost a lot of games. I, I, yeah. I'm not too worried You're about that. You're correct. It is primarily they, Dallas they, and, and Winnipeg and Colorado. And they, there's a bit of a drop-off. then there's a, there's a gap, yeah. right. Now, they, I mean, they're four points out of Nashville. That is a huge lead. They both played 31 games. Um, but here, here's the other part of it. Four and five against the top three teams in each of the four divisions. And those are the guaranteed playoff teams. In other words, Dallas, Winnipeg, Vegas, Vancouver, the Kings, Rangers, Philly, Islanders, Boston, Toronto, Florida. Four and five against those teams. 15-5-2 and two against everybody else, which is fine. But if you're expecting more than four and five based on generally what has been their form through basically the first third of the season. Uh, games like tonight, they need to win games like home against Ottawa, uh, a team that just fired its coach on Thursday. Got to win Arizona at Arizona. Arizona's improved uh, by quite a bit. Actually, you need to get three out of four points right. in, in those yeah. two games. That, that's what we're talking about. You go to, St. Louis, then you have San Jose and the Islanders at home. You need to win two of those three. And you may be doing this you without Caleb Dallas, that's going to be hard. You've already won in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is good, and they give the Avs generally a lot of trouble down in Dallas. Then you got Florida and Boston at home, and you need to split those games, at least split those games. So, you know, the, it, and, and you're right, six of the next ten are at home, including the game tonight, but there's a lot of travel. Well, you know, one game at home and a right. game on the road or two games at home and one or two on the road. And, and so there, there's a lot of back and forth. And, you know, I think they will keep Makar out. I know they say day-to-day. And, again, the rejoinder to that is, aren't we all? Oh, right, right. Uh, but but I think day-to-day in this case means day-to-day until he's pain-free. Which I think is what Bednar basically said. You know, that could be at any point in time, but we're going to let his body decide. Uh, when it's good to go, because we don't want to have to be doing all these. Uh, it's easier right now to just tell Sam Malinsky or Caleb Jones, "Hey, you're you're going, and By you're going way, until I playing pretty uh, well, yeah, especially and, Malinsky." And just say, "Look, you're going on, until I tell you you're not." And that's easier than having those guys have to bounce back and forth up to Loveland for the Eagles. It's easier just to say, "Look, McCarr's out. He, he's still around the team. It is day to day." but we're not going to activate him until he's basically pain-free because we need him later, and that makes it easier and for, for Bednar. Entirely and it makes it easier for the rest of the team. But it's it's sort of like the Draymond Green thing, although Sam Gerrard was not, you know, show, uh, putting people in chokeholds and, and hitting them across the face right. with, with a stick. But that deal with Sam Gerrard, that's as long as it takes for him to get well. Yeah, that's a who knows. That's open-ended. That's a who knows. And you need to look at it like like an end. You so should probably count on it being it, long-term. You're talking about Makar, who's your star, who plays, what, 24 and a half, 25 minutes a game mm-hmm. on average? 
And then you're talking about Gerard, who's a 19 to 20 minute a game guy. That that's a lot to replace. Okay. And then you're missing Lekkonen, who is an 18, 19 minute a game guy. That that's a lot to be missing. And I know in terms of volume, they had more injuries last year, but the injuries they have right now or the absences they're experiencing. These are three big guys on their team that right now they don't have. Right. And it, it with, I think Gerard, I, I just guessing Gerard comes back somewhere between the time the car comes back and the time Lekkonen comes back. But who knows? It could be longer than Lekkonen still needs to fully recover. Could be longer. We don't know. Just like the Warriors have no, I know there's a report that, oh, Green will be back in three weeks. I, what? How, how can you possibly yeah, you know? Don't, you don't know. He's got conditions to meet. He's getting, you know, mental health uh, treatment right now. Who knows how long that's going to take? And, and the good thing is Gerard went right to the NHL facility and Green, from all indications, fully understands that he needs. As our friend Dr. Yep. Perea knows, and we'll talk tomorrow with Dr. Perea about this very point because he knows Draymond Green well. Draymond Green needs a checkup from the neck up. Yep, well, he'll get it before he gets on the court. Uh, good, good win by the Nuggets last night. The Avs go tonight in just about a half-hour puck will drop. Uh, Connor Bedard will get a lot of the national attention. He's got about half the points Nathan McKinnon does, and he's not on a 15-game <laughs> scoring streak no. like uh, Nathan McKinnon is. So as we'll get it going, we'll talk about that tomorrow and, of course, break down more of the Broncos-Patriots matchup as it comes along. Thanks to you for listening, whether it was over on the FM, the HD, MileHighSports.com, or the Mile High Sports app, free and easy. and grab everything, including the latest from our guest, Cody Rourke. You can get the podcast right there that Cody hosts as well as all the writing right in the app thanks to Danny Bailey he makes everything work Sandy Clough doing heavier lifting than usual today appreciate both of you guys we will be back tomorrow time to step aside we'll mix things up Denver music scene is up next we'll be back tomorrow so uh, keep it right here on My Life Sports yeah.